0: primary care knowledge boost, bronchiectasis. Hello again to all our listeners and welcome back to primary care knowledge boost. We're going to be talking to Dr. Ashish again today about bronchiectasis.
1: Yes, it was a lovely topic to go through with them. Um, It's really nice and clear the information that he gives us and um, I've, I've taken away some really nice straightforward learning points that I've put into
0: practice straight away from it so it's a nice satisfying episode to record. Yes I'll agree with that um, it was nice I think to systematically go through a clinical topic like this that I don't think gets a lot of exposure necessarily um, it's often overshadowed I think by some of the the big hitters like COPD and um, so it was nice to it was nice to give it some time and to go through it.
1: Yep although having said that we are going to be doing Uh, an episode about COPD so we look forward to that too. Yes that'll be coming out in the next few months. (laughs) Yeah lovely. Um, So in the episode uh, we go through what is bronchiectasis, um, when to suspect it, risk factors for developing it and uh, things to look on
0: examination as well as differentials yep and then we go on to talk about um, investigations that you can do and how reliable these are um, the role of sputum samples and then what we can be doing in primary care to help manage these patients alongside our colleagues in secondary care
1: and um, we'll be sharing our learning points at the end of the episode and we hope you enjoy
0: so we are pleased to be back today with Dr. Ashish from Wigan to talk um, more about some respiratory issues. And um, would you like to introduce yourself again for people who didn't hear you the last time? Uh,
2: my name is Abdul Ashish. I'm one of the uh, consultant respiratory physicians here at Wigan. Uh, I have a special interest in bronchiectasis.
0: Lovely. Um, so yes, today is all about bronchiectasis. <laughs> um, so why don't we start with just the definition? What What is bronchiectasis?
2: So bronchiectasis. Uh, is dilatation of the distal bronchi um, with surrounding inflammation and damage to the lung parenchyma. Okay. Um, It is uh, something which we notice more on CTs.
0: Okay.
1: And in terms of the common symptoms and signs, what, what would you expect with bronchiectasis?
2: Commonly, we see patients with chronic productive cough in the background of recurrent respiratory tract infections is what the commonest presentation is with bronchiectasis. And we we often see uh, a lot of patients with asthma and COPD, especially in this subgroup of recurrent infections, which is when I think bronchiectasis should be perhaps thought of.
1: Mm. Okay. So... When should we suspect bronchiectasis other than in those populations?
2: So uh, from the symptom point of view, it is, like I mentioned, chronic productive cough Mm -hmm. and sputum production um, and somebody with recurrent infections. There are certain specific conditions or specific uh, scenarios where you may want to suspect bronchiectasis as well. Somebody with airway disease such as asthma, or COPD requiring repeated antibiotics. Mm. Three or more infections in a short space of time, you may want to think, is there something else like bronchiectasis? Other conditions, connective tissue disease, yet again, rheumatoid, Mm. there's association with rheumatoid arthritis. One of the lung manifestations is bronchiectasis. So somebody in that category having repeated respiratory tract infections. Mm. Similarly, in inflammatory bowel disease, it is seen more commonly. So these are the specific common scenarios where one would expect uh, to see bronchiectasis.
0: And is it something that we would diagnose in childhood at all or is it only an adult disease? Um,
2: uh, There can be a childhood diagnosis. As an adult physician, I... Uh, I don't come across that many uh, early bronchiectasis, yeah. but uh, the childhood infections, particularly measles and pertussis, can give rise to bronchiectasis. Immunodeficiency syndromes in childhood, if diagnosed, can lead to bronchiectasis. Mm. Some conditions which are predominantly diagnosed in childhood, such as cystic fibrosis, can give rise to bronchiectasis. Mm.
0: Okay. And you mentioned so it's the chronic productive cough. Um, I'm guessing these people might maybe get a bit breathless if they're getting a lot of sputum production. Is that uh, correct to say? Uh,
2: breathlessness is, again, variable. It depends on which stage. In early stages, you perhaps don't get as much breathlessness. But as the disease progresses, sure enough, you, you, you get exertional breathless. But we tend to see that more in adults.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, And what about on examination? Um, Because obviously with with our ILD talk that we had, you talked about there being fine crackles, maybe clubbing. Is there anything specific to see in bronchiectasis?
2: So uh, bronchiectasis uh, generally gives cause crackles at the lung basis uh, in in a patient who's typical um, you can see associated clubbing as well but again that is not a sign that you can reliably uh, rely on you can see clubbing in a variety of lung conditions but bronchiectasis is one of them
0: okay Mm -hmm. thank you
1: Um, are there any other risk factors in terms of getting bronchiectasis other than the things that you've mentioned
2: like I mentioned, childhood infections, we always ask about childhood diseases, measles, pertussis, TB. If they've had in the childhood, they put them at a higher risk of bronchiectasis. Yeah. Uh, uh, bronchiectasis is very common with airway conditions. Up to 40% of asthmatics, up to 50% of patients with COPD could have uh, bronchiectasis. Wow. Uh, um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Other conditions, alpha-1 antitrypsin, Certain immune deficiencies, mm-hmm. um, a gamma globulinemia, or specific functional antibody deficiencies, can lead to repeated respiratory tract infection, which then damages the airway, causing bronchiectasis. Um, connective tissue disease and inflammatory bowel disease are also uh, associated. Uh, the other big subgroup is, which is associated with impaired mucous clearance, whether it's ciliary dyskinesia, cystic mm. fibrosis, mm. but they tend to present early on in life, yeah. not later as in adults. Um, so these are the common things that come across a- as risk factors for developing later bronchiectasis.
0: And what what are our important differentials to be thinking about?
2: So um, common things being common, uh, COPD, COPD, um, is something you may want to think of: chronic productive phlegm. Uh, when one presents with chronic cough, the commoner things are asthma, postnasal rip, reflux. That all those things. But when it's associated with recurrent respiratory tract infections, that is when bronchiectasis perhaps comes uh, to the top. I think a particular mention is about TB, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, TB often has constitutional symptoms associated with it. Yeah. It's weight loss, night sweats, chronic sputum production, hemoptysis, um, and x-ray changes. Yeah, So that is a constellation of symptom signs. And results that may want you to think, particularly in immigrant population, uh, whether it is Afro-Caribbean or Asian population, with some symptoms of persistent cough, weight loss, fever, at a higher risk of getting TB, and that should be thought of earlier on.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, And you you have pretty much I think mentioned them there but in terms of red flags in a respiratory history what would we be thinking that would require an urgent referral?
2: So uh, red flags are weight loss, hemoptysis, uh, x-ray changes, new x-ray changes, Um, increase in breathlessness which is unexplained also should perhaps be brought to the attention of the secondary care team or seen by the primary care physician sooner.
1: Um, So if we suspect someone has got bronchiectasis, things are pointing us down that direction. What are the initial investigations that, that you'd start with in primary care?
2: Um, there are a number of investigations which could uh, give you a clue towards bronchiectasis. Um, we could start with by doing an x ray. Um, X-ray is not always uh, abnormal in bronchiectasis. It could be normal, especially if it's associated with airway disease. It could be normal, but there are certain changes if you see on an X-ray report um, tram track appearance uh, yeah. on the X-ray or increased bronchovascular markings at the lung bases. May you may want to think of bronchiectasis. Yeah. Other uh, uh, investigations is sputum examination, and if you get organisms such as Staphylococcus or Pseudomonas, you might think, or is there an underlying structural lung problem, such as bronchiectasis. Right.
1: Um,
2: spirometry is uh, helpful, but not always uh, useful or diagnostic in these cases, okay. simply to rule out associated airway problems. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, these are the common investigations. So if I were to sum it up, a chest X-ray, a spirometry, a sputum.
0: and I'm guessing that it's probably similar to our chat with ILD that there's not much role for blood tests in these patients unless you're trying to rule out other causes yeah
2: once, once uh, we have an established diagnosis or we strongly suspect bronchiectasis, there's a number of blood tests we do in secondary care. Okay. We look for connective tissue diseases always, especially if the history is pointing. We always look for uh, changes that may cause immune deficiencies that could lead to bronchiectasis, such as immunoglobulin levels. We look at functional antibodies to pneumococcus and haemophilus Mm. uh, because Mm. these are things that we can easily manage. And if there's a patient with early bronchiectasis in 20s, uh, we may do the gene test for cystic fibrosis, but that's rare. Mm. Often they get screened uh, much earlier on. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You mentioned about sputum samples. You did say about staphylococcus and Mm. and, um, pseudomonas. Um, more likely to be associated with with bronchiectasis are there organisms that are less common
2: so bronchiectasis can be associated with any
1: organism right uh
2: really uh, in the early stages we tend to see organisms such as haemophilus moraxella uh, streptococcus uh, however in the later stages we tend to see more gram negative organisms mm-hmm. uh pseudomonas is particularly one that is once you isolated repeatedly you really do have to think of bronchiectasis
0: okay um, and so um, sputum really should be um, up near the top of what we're doing if we're suspecting bronchiectasis because of picking up those, those different organisms.
2: Sputum results are very important in terms of guiding your future therapy. It may not be important to current um, currently managing the patient who's in front of you. But if you have historical sputum test results, you could perhaps direct your antibiotic regimen a little bit better. Uh, and for that Instance and because the flora in the lung changes and the uh, colonization changes, the infection uh, changes within the lung, the microbiomes, they, as the organisms get, uh, say, they're longer, they get smarter, they adapt. Yeah. Uh, and hence, it's important to repeatedly do sputum tests okay. so that, especially if you hit Pseudomonas, you know it is treatment resistant. And it leaves you with very little options oral with oral treatment. Yeah. Hence, perhaps better managed jointly, if not solely by secondary care.
0: I that leads nicely on to the next question, um, where I was going to ask, um, who should we be referring to respiratory? If, if we're suspecting bronchiectasis, should we, we be referring everybody?
2: All patients where you suspect bronchiectasis should come to secondary care, at least for uh, initial evaluation. Yeah. Um, often, uh, simply because it requires a number of tests Uh, which may not be necessarily available at the primary care level, including NHRCTs, some complex immune system drugs, uh, wider connective tissue uh, results, and we have to put it in context. So all patients should come to secondary care. Once we have evaluated patients uh, based on their disease severity, we may uh, discharge some of these select patients who are relatively stable back to the general practitioner with a, with a care plan perhaps of antibiotic therapy um, uh, in the future or number of infections they're getting yeah. and when to refer back.
0: That's good. Um, I was just thinking back, so essentially really it is based on, on history and examination because chest X-ray might be normal, spirometry might be normal so it is more of a clinical suspicion, is that right? Uh, it is,
2: it is. Yeah. Um, so clinical suspicion is of paramount um, because it's largely a radiology diagnosis it mm-hmm. is an HRCT diagnosis and hence you can have a clinical suspicion but you confirm the diagnosis based on an HRCT.
1: So in terms of treatment for bronchiectasis, in, if we're suspecting it whilst we're awaiting review in, in secondary care, is there anything that we can initiate other than sort of treating exacerbations or treating infections?
2: Um, in terms of the cause, uh, if there's specific immune deficiency, the treatment will involve vaccinations or top-up vaccinations, yeah. whether it's Pneumovax yeah. or Menatorix. Uh, we test for functional antibody levels and we do vaccinate people who are found to be immunodeficient. People who have airway disease, we do uh, give them inhalers. And it is uh, important to note that not everybody with bronchiectasis requires inhalers. Only with airway disease, people with associated airway disease do require inhalers. Uh, The treatment, there is some generic aspects to treatment with everybody with bronchiectasis. One is a sputum clearance. Uh, So it is important that people with bronchiectasis clear their lungs or do regular expectoration of their phlegm, whether it's assisted with some physiotherapy or assisted with some medical treatment, such as mucolytics, is uh, something for the uh, clinician to consider. Vaccination status, if they've not had a pneumococcal vaccination, by the uh, by the nature of high risk of repeated infections, if they've not had one in the last five years, perhaps an update vaccination is uh, mandated. Yep. Uh, sputum microbiology is something you need to know at all times. And very, very important aspect is to treat the infections with longer course of antibiotics. So five days of standard course of antibiotics may not be enough because it's a deep-seated infection. Mm -hmm. Hence, uh, we would suggest uh, up to 10 to 14 days of antibiotics in patients with bronchiectasis. Um, Other than that, uh, often a referral to physiotherapist is useful simply to help them expectorate the phlegm. But these are the uh, sort of common treatment modalities that we, uh, w- w- which we use in bronchiectasis.
0: And you um, you mentioned there about the exacerbations. Um, how would we know that there is an exacerbation um, going on? Is it just similar to any other lower respiratory tract infection?
2: So um, exacerbations is when there is a step change in the symptoms of the patient, which requires a different medical uh, approach. Yeah. So the step change could be in sputum, the volume, color, consistency, and quantity. So that could change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, constitutional symptoms-wise, they could uh, report something as basic as increased tiredness, yeah. but on larger scale, they will say um, chest tightness, chest feels heavy, um, breathlessness, uh, fever, uh, sweating. Mm-hmm. So these are all uh, signs and symptoms that something has changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Often the patients. Uh, are aware enough to report this to say something has changed, but um, but if they complain of change in sputum quantity, quality, color, with or without constitutional symptoms, it may you may want to think of an exacerbation.
0: Grand, And um, I know that there is a really nice table, I think, in Nice ICKS um, that mentions the different antibiotics and things that you can use yes. um, that I've seen, um, which is really handy for us in primary care. Um, is there any role for, um, for oral steroids in people who don't have associated airways disease but have bronchiectasis? Often
2: it's just antibiotics is sufficient. Uh, not everybody requires oral steroids, but if there is concomitant airway disease, uh, it may be beneficial to alleviate the inflammatory process associated with bronchiectasis.
0: So in terms of follow-up and monitoring in primary care, um, you've mentioned about vaccines, which will be quite an important role for us um, in keeping on top of flu vaccine and and the new vaccine. What else should we be doing in primary care?
2: Um, In terms of uh, primary care, what they could offer is uh, the information to the patients that Sputum testing, regular sputum testing is important uh, to keep a diary of the number of infections that they're getting. Longer course of antibiotics is something I would try to reiterate Mm -hmm. that is really important and can only be supported from the primary care setup. Uh, Some generic things such as smoking cessation increasing activity uh, in terms of, because that also serves as a mucolytic. It helps to expectorate phlegm. Um, BMI, addressing BMI, low BMI is uh, is high risk for further repeated infections. So addressing the BMI is something that is um, useful. Yeah. Um, There is some evidence to suggest supplementation of vitamin D, uh, in patients with bronchiectasis prevents uh, certain types of infections or reduces the length of. So it, it's always useful to check the vitamin D levels, although it is not in any uh, guidelines. We do find that the optimal levels of vitamin D are protective uh, towards repeated respiratory tract infections
0: Interesting, okay and I think we did write that down so I think it does mention that somewhere on um,
2: There's a lot of evidence coming towards supporting vitamin D in this chronic inflammatory or infective Mm -hmm. states especially in bronchitis. Interesting,
0: Um, and I've um, just noted there you mentioned about doing um, regular sputum a couple of times how often is regular, how often should we be doing them? uh,
2: It's always important to have a baseline sputum Yeah. Um, And even if we do sputum prior to every infective exacerbation, that is sufficient. You don't have to do regularly in somebody who's otherwise well. Mm -hmm. So a baseline sputum test and every time before you dispense antibiotic in somebody, it's useful to have a sputum because something has changed. Mm -hmm. Has the organism changed is the question we need to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: That makes sense.
2: The sputum is not, like I said, is not helpful in immediate care. Mm-hmm. It is simply helpful in future care right. yeah. to guide the antibiotic therapy to sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it is not useful in that particular episode. But mm-hmm. referring to the previous sputum microbiology results may help you in deciding what antibiotic you might want to give on this particular episode yeah. if the sputum comes back with a resistant organism and the patient is still clinically unwell yeah. there's a case to change the antibiotic yeah. for a different one for you know a longer duration yeah
1: that's that's so much clearer now to me when to do sputum samples because I think we were getting a lot back and then you're having to ring patients to work out do they actually need mm. antibiotics? Does this need treating or not?
2: Yes. One of the important things to know with bronchiectasis is they'll always have sputum and it may always have bugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not to treat it if they're clinically well because yeah. that may simply represent colonisation Yeah. and therefore doesn't always require action. It's to file it and if they become unwell the next time to use it as something to guide your future therapy. Gotcha. Good
1: reference marker. Yeah, Good
0: reference point. Exactly. So just put it in the clinical context.
1: Lovely. Um, You mentioned about some of the more stable patients going back into primary care um, and action plans, which I hadn't really heard about before. Um, Which patients do you want referring back to secondary care who might have been discharged?
2: So we often discharge patients who are stable, who don't get... The infection burden is very less, one or two infections over a year, mm-hmm. and they're otherwise quite well. Yeah. And the problem leading to bronchiectasis, whether it is immune deficiency or airway disease is well controlled as well, we do re- discharge them back. If they suddenly start having repeated infections or fail to respond to antibiotics, standard antibiotics based on their dispute microbiology, yeah. or they show any red flag symptoms, it is always good to refer them back.
0: Grand, Thank you. Uh, we did write a big list, but I think that this is must be the people who stay under yourselves. Mm. <laughs> um, so the people who have Pseudomonas and MRSA and mm. things like that, but they tend to just stay so under a- you.
2: A- anybody with resistant organisms on long-term antibiotic with recurrent infections or uh, problems or other associated problems which require monitoring in the secondary care, such as connective tissue disease, inflammatory bowel disease, they often remain under long-term secondary care.
0: Fine. And then um, I'm, I'm guessing that this is again pretty similar to previously, but um, which patients with bronchiectasis need emergency admission um, kind of on the day?
2: Um, people uh, with bronchiectasis who are clinically very unwell, um, as in cardiorespiratory compromise whether it is somebody who was known to have normal oxygen saturation is hypoxic Mm -hmm. or you've given uh, 10-14 days of antibiotic and they develop a new symptom such as concerning symptoms such as hemoptysis um, or the x-ray comes back suggestive of mnemonic changes, perhaps you may want to consider sending them to secondary care based on the context yeah. of how the patient, how unwell the patient is. There's no uh, definite guide. It is to just your, use your clinical uh, acumen in these sort of situations. Yeah,
0: so, it's just your generally normally unwell patient septic signs, things like that. That's that we're right. In. That's right. Um, so, Oh, yes. So, if someone's. I know that there are a few patients that I've come across that are on long term antibiotics mm-hmm. um, on bronchiectasis. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: So, we often use long term antibiotics in patients who have repeated exasperations or repeated infections. Now, the threshold is really very variable and it also depends very much on the patient choice as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we use roughly three to five uh, infections a year uh, which then makes then the risk benefit of having a long-term antibiotic and the resistance uh, acquired due to it is uh, justifiable in those situations. We do consider a variety of uh, long-term antibiotic options. We would prefer uh, to try it for at least 12 months to see if that results in reduction of the number of infective episodes, because it is these infective episodes which lead to worsening of long-term bronchiectasis. So we need to try and avoid them uh, or prevent them as best as possible.
0: Okay. Um, And um, would you normally then try people off them?
2: um, Yes. After a 12-month duration, we often would like to try uh, to see how they progress. Commonly used long-term antibiotic is azithromycin which we use three times a week Um, and after a 12-month period we try to take them off it to see how they respond. Uh, Some individuals remain well, some individuals go back to having repeated infection in which case they end up being long-term.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, and if people are on long-term antibiotics, what do we do when they have an exacerbation with those long-term so, antibiotics? Um,
2: uh, we tend to stop the long-term antibiotics and give a acute course. Then consideration should be given whether the same long-term antibiotics should be considered or a different one. But there is some guidance from NICE. Uh, in mm-hmm. clinical practice, we tend to, if, if they've done well previously on the long-term antibiotics, we simply continue them.
0: Brilliant. And I'm guessing we can always get in touch with yourselves and there's advice and guidance and things about what to do. Of with course, of course. Um, and oh, just and still on the long-term antibiotics, um, is there ever a role for GPs or primary care clinicians starting that or is it always done in secondary care?
2: I think preferably done in secondary care uh, simply because, uh, you know, the risks associated with long-term antibiotic, whether it's drug resistance or emerging non-tubercular mycobacteria or... Yeah. Uh, azithromycin is uh, uh, associated with deafness and QT Mm -hmm. prolongation. So all these things have to be considered and ideally these should be under the secondary care. Yeah.
1: Um, You mentioned some good advice in terms of lifestyle things. Um, Are there any ways of preventing exacerbations?
2: I can't think of any way that you can prevent uh, an exacerbation really because these are uh, often respiratory tract infections Uh, often propagated by viral infections. There's some things which may reduce the risk, having an active lifestyle, um, uh, taking your inhalers regularly, um, uh, vitamin D if it is optimal. Um, But other than that, I can't think of anything specific to avoid an infection per se. Grand.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's the prognosis like for people who have bronchiectasis without any other airway disease complicating it?
2: Generally, prognosis is pretty good. Um, because this is all treatable, it's all manageable. Yeah. Uh, so as long as we can keep the infections um, burden low, mm-hmm. uh, and as long as patients are aware and remain active and keep on top of their uh, treatments, the prognosis is generally pretty good.
0: Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, And I guess, um, for me to end anyway, um, if you could tell our primary care colleagues anything um, about how to manage bronchiectasis better, anything that we could be doing differently, what would you want to tell them?
2: So one of the most important things I would say is if somebody has bronchiectasis, please do look at the sputum results and give longer courses of antibiotic. Uh, If they're not improving, uh, perhaps... um, Uh, that is probably a time to consider referral to secondary care or at least discussion with secondary care. Uh, Locally, uh, people who have drug-resistant pathogens such as Pseudomonas, we offer a hospital-at-home service. Yes, that's Um, right. in those individuals who are colonized with difficult to treat bugs, such as sometimes uh, uh, pseudomonas or staph or gram-negative organisms. They don't uh, necessarily need to be admitted, but a conversation between the general practitioner and secondary care, we can facilitate IV antibiotics at home Mm. which may uh what the next course of action needs to be rather than just referring them to the hospital Uh, and that would be good for the patient as well uh, as well as a very important way of avoiding hospitalizations and putting in further risk of more resistant organisms
0: exactly so don't be scared to pick up the phone and have that conversation rather than just sending them in absolutely yeah yeah brilliant thanks very much for your time today thank you thank you it was a pleasure so another great episode there with um dr ashish don't you think sarah yeah um yeah what did you take away from today um i
1: took away about sputum cultures was probably my top learning Mm. point when i was sort of writing them down a bit earlier um i really have i've done sputum cultures intermittently uh, for patients but i've got now a much clearer understanding of how to use them so That sputum cultures guide future care or can guide future care. Um, There's always going to be a level of colonization. Um, and it
0: has to be put into the clinical context. So it was all really useful information for me. Yes, and I think along the lines of investigations, um, the chest X-ray appearances were quite useful to know about um, because we often get the reports back um, and they can say certain things. But it was nice to know that tram track appearance or increased bronchovascular markings at the bases can kind of indicate that bronchiectasis might be a possibility.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was really interesting because if they say at the end um, this is suspicious, of bronchiectasis then um then i'll think about it obviously but if they if you know if you just got those details in a report you might not necessarily piece that together so it was good to
0: exactly. remember these things yeah um, and yeah also thinking um, about then treatment um and the antibiotics um and um, i know that in several places that i worked before i don't think everybody necessarily knew about the longer courses of antibiotics for bronchiectasis yeah i have to admit i didn't yeah it's it, i think it's not very well um publicized yeah. necessarily um and and Um, I think the knowing about it now is really useful because there's always that bit of a balance that we have with prescribing antibiotics. But it's good to know that these people are are ones who need it for longer um, so that we can make sure that we get on top of their deep rooted infection.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I also um, found it helpful talking about azithromycin its role uh, understanding yeah. where it fits in in the picture um, and also uh, the need to stop it when we're giving antibiotics for an exacerbation of bronchiectasis and um, that was yeah. really nice to go through as
0: well <laughs> <laughs> definitely um, and i think it was nice to um, then also be able to talk about what we can be doing in primary care um, for these patients because I think with bronchiectasis and with what Dr Ashish was saying um, it is it is very secondary care led in a way um, you feel like there maybe isn't much that we can be doing in primary care that a lot of them need to be referred and looked after there but actually there's a lot that we can be doing and a lot that we should be responsible for um, so things like making sure that they've got their vaccines talking to them about activity levels mm-hmm. um, and and thinking about BMI and, and having those discussions if someone's BMI is too low because of that being a per prognosis factor yeah um, so we do have a really important role in these patients yeah
1: i love the um description of activity being like a mucolytic i thought that was really mm. interesting um yeah. yeah i'll be using that again <laughs> so um you can contact us and um, feel free to uh we're on gmail at primary care at gmail.com uh we're also on twitter our handle is at pckbpodcast
0: um, and thanks very much for everyone who's gotten contact already yeah it's lovely to hear from everybody um, and as we always say we do have our survey it's a more formal way of you providing feedback um, if you want to so you can let us know um, things that we can be doing better and um, things that you like um, and it should only take a minute or two to fill out so we'll put that link in the episode description um, and if you do like us then um, we say please share and um, let your friends know let your colleagues know and um, because that seems to be the best way for us getting the word out about what we're doing Um so yeah if you if you like us then tell a friend
1: Yeah, lovely. Um, Also, um, it's really interesting to hear from people about, um, particularly from primary care colleagues about really good teaching that people have had in greater manchester so if you've um come across some really wonderful teaching from somebody and um, that you think would come across really nicely on the podcast and um, feel free to get in touch because it's always nice to get suggestions for really good speakers and people who know their subjects well uh, we've got a lot of things coming out but um yeah by all means it would be nice to hear from you exactly so until next time on
0: primary care knowledge Beast. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public.
1: They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2019. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for
0: up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. Uh, The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode
1: description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.